And we're back with the District 3 podcast. Everybody, thank you for joining us this Sunday. Um, this is uh, a, another episode on Manny. Um, this is Irvin. Irvin's here. Irvin, any guesses on what episode we're on? Because, you know, at this point, we've completely lost track. If I guess, I think it's like episode 57, but I could be wrong. Okay. Um, I hope you're right. I really if do. I'm, if I'm not, don't judge me. Um, it's, it's hard to keep track of. Especially once you reach, like, once you go past 50, it's kind of, like, very, very difficult. Um... I, I think we're at like 50 something, but you know, luckily today we're joined by somebody that was with us, an OG of the podcast, if you will. Yeah, she's the only political candidate that has been on the podcast twice. Yeah, and and this is her first time as a political candidate, a little caveat there, um, but we're joined today by Celeste Williams. Celeste, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. I'm quite delighted to be here today. Yeah, we're happy that you could join us, especially in this capacity. Um, you know, you, we've uh, initially we had you on uh, because you had just become the chairwoman of, of uh, the Benton County Democrats. Mm-hmm. Um, and now you've made a, a, a wild transition, um, a huge transition. And we're super proud that you're doing it because I think you're so qualified and you bring a great voice. Uh, that you're running as uh, for the House of Representatives in the third district, which is, you know, uh, coincidentally what we're named after, District Three podcast. Purposely because of the third district. Absolutely, so. yeah, we're all here uh, because we love District Three, right? We do. We absolutely do. Um, and because Celeste is here, we actually brought extra hand sanitizer since she's a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Lysol, a Lysol can right behind Maddie, and we just wanted to make sure that, yeah, like, I, you, you that we were clean. You've done a really good job. I got here extra early and started wiping stuff down. I was like, oh, I don't want anything to look dirty. I wiped this it table again to... when you left downstairs. Yeah. Again, so okay, we're, good, we're good. good. Yeah, so we're all very clean, uh, making sure we, we do it right for our uh, resident nurse, Celeste Williams. Thank you for being here, Celeste. We really appreciate it. I feel like there's a lot of important things that we have to talk about today. Let's do it. Um, We're all wearing masks too, so that's cool. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've been doing it for a little bit, um, but, you know, now I think a a good place to start is, you know, Celeste is very used to wearing masks Um, as a nurse. You know, I, I think, you know, I think it's a good place to start this conversation because, uh, we just had the mask mandate in Arkansas yeah. um, by Governor Hutchinson. Finally, um, you know, I have I haven't gotten into it as far as what it means for if, when schools start. I mean, do you have any details on on what that is? Either of you, Celeste, Irvin, as far as what? Yeah, are kids going to have to wear masks? So I think that they've sort of left it up to individual school districts, is my understanding. Uh-huh. Um, You know, I've told my children um, that they will be wearing a mask at school. Um, And my youngest is seven. Then I have an eight-year-old, a 10, and an 11-year-old. And one of them, I am certain, will really struggle with being able to keep it on her face. Yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, they understand. You know, we have very age-appropriate conversations about what's happening in the world why do we have to take these precautions and you know they get it they they want to make sure that nobody else gets sick because of them maybe having the virus and inadvertently passing it on so yeah pretty simple children can understand it yes it's amazing (laughs) like they i i find it really kind of disheartening that my kids get it yeah why don't our legislators get it right yeah, right. I think that like, um, th- looking at your situation, Celeste. I mean, you're a nurse, and then you're also a parent. Manny and I, we aren't parents, obviously. We don't have children. 
Is that like, does that cause double worry for you just because of the situation? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I know, you know, and we're also in a time where we are learning about this new virus in real time. And, you know, it's so the data that we have and what we think of as best practice may change based on what we learn about it. And so there, there's some evidence out there to suggest that maybe kids are less likely to get the virus and a little bit less likely to pass it on. So that gives me a little bit of comfort, but it still doesn't make the risk zero. And so certainly as a, you know, that makes me feel a little better as a, a nurse and a nurse practitioner. But then I think about, you know, my risk and my husband's risk, he works in the ER. Um, you know, if our kids are in school because of us bringing a virus home that we're unaware of, yeah, then I have to live with that guilt of maybe their teacher getting it because of a virus that I brought home, gave to them, and they gave to their teacher. And so it is really a hard place to be in. I mean, I don't want our educators to feel like they are being used as fodder to maintain the economy, which they really sort of are because it's really hard to work if you don't have child care available mm -hmm. and you know and and even that makes it sound demeaning because our educators certainly aren't just there yeah. for child care they provide so much for our kids you know whether you know school gives the a lot of kids meals for kids who are food insecure and services for children with special needs that need different types of therapies. And, you know, those kids aren't getting it right now. And so there, there really is no good answer about what we should do with school. The main thing that we have to do is really fight this virus and reduce the amount of prevalency within our communities. And, you know, the unsatisfying thing with that right now, our tools are wear a mask, wash our hands and watch our distance, you know, three W's. And, um, you know, that's, that is hard. Yeah. And it sounds super simple, but like the reality is human beings are very relational and we like doing things together. And it is, it's really mentally exhausting um, and when someone like wants to shake your hand and you yes. like, sometimes there's times where like, there's, it's a certain situation where I can't say no to someone. Yes. You know, I went to, I went to a funeral recently of someone that actually passed away from COVID and, um, the brother of the deceased person came up to me and put her, put his hand out, you know, and at that moment I could not, yes. not shake his hand yeah. you know, because of, of the current situation. So, um, I feel like it is very tough. It is very exhausting to it have is. to really look at how we, um, how we live now different to how we lived before this pandemic began. Yeah, and, and I, but you know, again, I'm very thankful that we have somebody like you that's out there giving, uh, being a role model for, for this. I think nobody better for the time uh, than a nurse, right? Especially when your opponent doesn't do any of it, you know? Uh, he said he'll wear a mask when he absolutely has to. Yeah, just wear a mask all the time. <laughs> like, yeah. come on, like it's if, not... you, if you're around <laughs> other people, then, then you should. Yeah. 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 I mean, and, and it's not about you. It's about your care and compassion for the person nearby. And, you know, I think it comes down to that love, love thy neighbor. Yeah. Like, and that there's no exceptions to which neighbors we have to love. Like it's yeah. all of them.
and you know I I think that's really I think it's our it should be looked at as our patriotic duty right now Absolutely. we are all suffering we are all struggling um, we all you know we love this country so that includes the people in it and let's all do our part to help reduce the spread of this virus and again wear a mask wash your hands watch your distance and whenever you were working I mean while I'm you still work working. you're still working <laughs> you haven't stopped full-time uh, nurse three Do, days a week not um full-time. not quite full-time but still very much a nurse um I mean, you wear a mask all the time at work, right? I do. I, I mean, you know, I do take a break every once in a while, go to my office, shut the door, and oh, <laughs> take, take a the, deep breath. Yes, because it, you know, it's like a sauna for your face. It's just, yeah, it's hot. Right, but but you're used to doing it, and yes. and you do it all day long. You know, I mean, and that's what's funny to me is how much people complain. You know, when I saw my first person this this weekend complain about a mask, and uh, like we were at the uh, bike ride here in, in Springdale. And I uh, was there for a meeting, and someone that joined us for that meeting um, started arguing with the person at the uh, that, that was employed at the bike rack, saying, hey, like, I'm not going to wear my mask, but I'm just going to keep six feet distance away from everybody. But indoors, that's not, it's not okay. Yeah. <laughs> and the employee was like, no, if you don't wear a mask, you can't be here. Mm-hmm. You know, at the end, she, she put a mask on, but I was like, why is this so difficult, you know? like, And I told the person, because she sat at my table, I was like, hey, like, my mom's diabetic. My dad is old. My stepdad is over 70 years old. Like, I wouldn't sit in this table if you're not wearing a mask. Not because of mine or your, or your health, mm-hmm. but because of the other people that we love that mm-hmm. we're putting in danger if we don't take yes. these precautions. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it, it's a very difficult time, but, and people make it more complicated than it should be, unfortunately. Yes. And, and, you know, I have to say, too, as, as someone who worked in ICU for over a decade, like, if you think a mask is uncomfortable, I'm going to tell you that being in the intensive care unit on a ventilator is a whole lot more uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, that is a real risk with this particular virus. And, you know, nobody wants to be in that position. So let's all do our part to not put anyone in that position. Absolutely. And and, and there you have it. Just firsthand experience, you know, somebody who's seen how difficult it is, uh, the result of not wearing a mask can be. Um, let me ask you, both of you, I mean, because both of you um, have ran for office, um, do you think it is a good step for governments to mandate the masks? I do. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I hear the argument about people talking about that they feel like it infringes upon their liberty. Well, we also have a constitutional right towards life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Mm. Well, if I don't wear my mask and I come in here and give you a hug and cough on you when I've been seeing patients all week and give you COVID that's taking away your life. Yeah. And so to me, wearing a mask on my face is really not infringing on my Liberty. It's giving me more Liberty because now I can go through the community and, and not have that worry of, you know, yes, I should still maintain my distance and such, but I'm really reducing the risk of, of passing it on by wearing the mask. Absolutely. And Irvin, I know you've been very vocal against uh, cities who refuse to make the ordinances. I mean, I, I think I know how you feel, but do you want to kind of voice that as well? Yeah, I mean, just generally speaking, I'm willing to do anything in my power to make sure that less people get sick and less people die, mm-hmm. right? And I'm, I'm from Springdale, just like you, Manny, and here we have the highest number of cases. Right, we have over 3,000 cases. I'm not sure if we've reached 4,000 yet, but I know we were like mid 3,000s. 
Um, and we also have the highest number of, I believe, I believe uh, deaths. And like, I know specifically the Marshallese community, they have over, uh, last time I checked, it was like 33 deaths. It could, the number could be high since I haven't checked in like two weeks. But when I, if, if I really love thy neighbor, like I preach that I do, then I really need to take any kind of precaution to make sure that my neighbor isn't dying yes. off a virus that could have been avoided um, if I had put my mask on. Um, that I had, if I can do anything in my power to make sure I don't transmit anything to affect anyone, I mean, common sense and morally speaking, why wouldn't we do it? Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and that's, that's, that's something that is very aggravating to see when other folks um, try e- comparing to being silenced uh, because they're wearing a mask. And I've heard that already. You know, people are saying, oh, I'm being silenced by being told to put this mask on. And it's, it's like you're putting yourself ahead of other folks, you know, yes. that you can uh, affect. I honestly think that this is a moral issue. Like, I have had some conversations with good friends of mine who who are very much not on the same political spectrum as I am. Yeah. But we both view it as a moral issue. Like, if you can't put someone else ahead of your own comfort, like, that's a problem. Yeah. And we need, like... I worry about what this says about us as a society, like that we feel so disconnected from one another that we really don't care enough to put a mask on our face to try to save somebody else from sickness or death. Right, right. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's not that difficult. We're just protecting mm-hmm. each other. Um, and, you know, hopefully it'll be for, you know, not the rest of our lives. Um, given that I think it'll end once we get a vaccine, right? That's that's the light at the end of the tunnel. That's, that's the hope. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and that's, I mean, again, another very political thing for some reason. Um, but also as a nurse, I think it'd, it'd be great to get your opinion on this. Absolutely. Um, I am so pro-vaccine. Like vaccines are safe, effective. They save lives. Like it is very important. And I will say professionally, I have just been amazed at the amount of time I have to spend at work during this virus of debunking conspiracy theory nonsense that has no basis in reality at all. Um, and, And so the real message is vaccines are safe. There's certainly not going to be a microchip or tracer dyes from Bill Gates putting it in the vaccine. In the vaccine. (laughs) Like, that is what I've spent so much time talking about. The one that I hear all the time, and maybe you can debunk this, because I hear this all the time whenever it comes to vaccines. People always say, if I get the vaccine, um, I'll probably just get sick a few days afterwards. No, that's not a thing. So your body, when you get a vaccine, your body views it as an invading infection which it's you don't actually get the the virus you're going you have a reaction and so because of that immune response that your body is having yeah you may feel kind of achy feeling kind of like you're coming down with something for a couple of days you're not getting the, the illness you're you're just having an immune response and you want that immune response so that's not a bad thing and you know it's way less than actually getting the virus yeah right definitely and it's just it's crazy to me that it's become so political 
I mean, it, just worldwide vaccines save people from malaria, save save people from every known disease, right? And and we see mortality rates just dropping and vaccines being like the number one reason across the world. But, you know, Donald Trump politicized it in 2016 during his debates. Yeah. I think that this pandemic has really served to highlight a lot of problems we already had. And so there were a lot of people who have vaccine hesitancy or they're, they're worried about getting the vaccine because of some issue or thing that they've heard that may or may not be based in reality. And so, you know, I view that as, as another thing that we need to be investing in our public health system for yes, absolutely. to really get to combat that misinformation, to get good, reliable information out into our communities so that we can really work together to make sure that we are all more healthy and that, you know, healthy people are better workers and more productive and, you know, you're underlying, you're just healthier. So right. that's a good thing. I think it's a huge failure of, you know, our, just our public health systems that they haven't combated misinformation over vaccines already. Which we have divested from our public health system for decades. Yeah. So we, we really have, um, you know, I, I do not in any way blame the public health workers and professionals right now because they are, you know, just like public school teachers have to work on such a shoestring budget. Mm -hmm. And like, who's paying for them to modify their classrooms right now for schools? Yeah. Nobody, nobody's spending any more money because we, we don't have enough money, they say. Right. Well, that's garbage too. Yeah. But, you know, our public health officials, they are working on less than shoestring budgets nobody's invested because it's hard to argue i need more money for this problem that isn't happening because i've prevented it from happening <laughs> right you know right. like people don't see yeah. what public health workers do you know we trust that we can turn the tap on get a glass of water and drink it and we're not going to get terrible diarrhea from our water being ta contaminated mm -hmm. you know we trust that um, there will be vaccines available so that we prevent illness. I mean, public health workers do a lot. You know, if you have a communicable illness, then I, as a healthcare provider, report, you know, that gets reported to the health department and then they track that person down. Note, you know, they contact, do contact tracing to find out who else this person could have exposed and that's that's what they do but we don't see that it's all behind the scenes yes and and it's hard work i mean it's obviously hours go into it and it's you don't get thanks because like you said it's behind no. the scenes and you know even i i don't see that because i'm i just give the person their results and i know that mm. the health department's going to follow up on the rest right yeah. yeah it's crazy that this um just this pandemic in general has gone to the point where um teachers are on social media begging the governor uh, not to reopen schools now but to reopen them when certain things have been followed right mm -hmm. have y'all been keeping up with the uh, hashtag uh, we reopen schools when have y'all seen that? I've seen that yes so teachers and I've, I've been following more the, the teachers in Springdale um, that have been posting about it I don't know if this I think this might be a, a statewide thing but the only tweets that I've seen have been like teachers they've been posting you know we retweet i mean we 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 open schools in arkansas when and then they'll say stuff like 
uh, the school when the school district stops taking advice from from Tyson on how to properly have uh, a safe environment because I'm not sure if y'all saw but the Springdale School District did post some pictures I think about two weeks ago um, saying that the the new uh, superintendent had gone to Tyson and had uh, had toured the plant and Tyson had kind of given them like information on how safe their plants were from mm. uh, and the precautions they were taking against COVID, you know, and all this is happening while there are folks that worked at those plants that have passed away, specifically within the Marshallese community. Um, and it's aggravating to see for a lot of, of folks within the Latinx and Marshallese community, specifically alumni and students of the Springdale School District, because it's their family members that are being sick, you know, and and besides that, the teachers are wanting to make sure that that uh, there's more safety precautions just put in by the Springdale School District so that they can feel safe because they're worried too. You know, they're they're worried that they're going to go go to school. They're going to get they might get some sort of they might get the virus from a student or they might give the virus to a student. And ultimately, I mean, it is on your conscience that you did that, you know, yes. or that you're going home and taking it to your family. So teachers are in a very uh, um, difficult predicament at the moment and I I um, I retweeted and shared their stuff because it's important um, I just feel for them because that's a big concern coming back to school with all those students and, in and one. That's, that's a real worry for for every worker that's out there right now that's mm. been deemed essential yeah well I find it interesting that these are all people who have been deemed essential to our society and our economy but they're more often than not people who have a lower income level and you know maybe we're in maybe as a society we need to look take this opportunity to look at who is really important you know it is important for me to have clean food that's not contaminated and you know and I think generally our food supply is that way like I can get a package of chicken cook it and I don't worry very much about getting salmonella right you know right. like that is something that you know Tyson certainly has its problems but that's something that they do a good job of of making sure we have safe food well beyond safe food we also need to have safety for our workers absolutely and safety for our teachers and and then let's make sure that they all get a living wage because you know often most the people who are able to work from home are getting a much higher income they're at a higher income level and and i think that it is unfair to ask so much of people in our communities that are really not getting the benefit from the amazing work that they do. All work has value. Definitely, definitely. Absolutely. And we're gonna take a quick break, a quick music break. We're gonna play a song, it's Major Laser, uh, Lay Your Head On Me, and we'll be right back after this quick break with Celeste Williams.
Congressional candidate uh, for District 3 in Arkansas, Celeste Williams. 
And um, Celeste, I saw on social media, specifically Facebook, that you had a live video um, with the founder of Venceremos, uh, Magali Licoli, and you all were talking about um, what's going on in the poultry industry, the work that Venceremos is doing. Can you talk a little bit about that conversation, just kind of what you all discussed and maybe if, if you learned something, uh, what that was? Yes, so um, one of her ideas that she has put forth is for worker-driven social responsibility model, which is basically creating a system. Um, I will not claim that I am the expert on this, but what I sort of related it to in my mind is like, if I buy a chocolate bar and it says fair trade on it, it would be similar to that so that there's incentive for um, people to buy responsibly, mm. um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like responsibly produce poultry yeah. or, or process poultry, I suppose is a better word. But, um, you know, it's really her work is fighting for better work, work conditions for mm. our workers. And, um, you know, I think that that is certainly um, a group of people in our community that um, their voices are not always heard, mm -hmm. that um, I think that they too probably feel very frightened right now yeah. being, you know, in the forefront of our economy and feeling like what, you know, what are they supposed to do? They can choose not to work and mm -hmm. not be able to pay the bills or work in conditions where they're terrified that they're going to get the coronavirus mm -hmm. and either they themselves get sick and die or take it home to somebody else who's more vulnerable. And, you know, I think that uncertainty is terrible. And, you know, again, back to my statement that all work has value. And, and I think that even mm -hmm. more core to that statement is that all workers have value. And whenever you, whenever we have um, people who feel like they are being sacrificed for the economy, that's certainly not making them feel valued. Yeah, absolutely. You know, my, my mom has worked in the poultry industry for over 20 years now, like ever since we moved from California back in 2002. And uh, this past week, I was able to convince her to quit. So she quit. Uh, my mom's diabetic, my stepfather, um, like I said, um, is older, um, so I worry about them, you know, specifically in the poultry factory where they work, um, there is a lot of cases of COVID that have been reported and many that have been unreported. Um, and I was just concerned and I managed to get her to quit, but I, that doesn't take, that doesn't take the stress off my shoulders because every week I get messages from folks. Um, they can either be people that work in these poultry factories or people who have parents that work at these poultry factories and they're scared. Yeah. They're so scared that their parents are still going to work, are still putting themselves at risk and uh, they can't do anything about it because unfortunately uh, jobs are, are limited um, and they have been in regards to folks who um, don't speak a lot of the times English. You yes. know? And unfortunately companies take advantage of that. Yeah, and, and I hope that, you know, it, one of the things, it's it's hard as a person that, you know, doesn't have family, and there's like, what can we do? And, um, you know, the, one of the great options, and that's why we love that Celeste is running, is that we can try to vote for people that are looking to make change in, within those systems. If it is adding some kind of, um, you know, fair trade stamp on, on food, um, or, 
or even, you know, just like ratings on the way people vote, you know, making sure that people are accountable for the way they vote towards legislation that affects workers. Um, I mean, there's there's so many things that we can do, but, you know, that's why it's important that people vote. And I think one thing we wanted to t touch on real quick is that people, because of coronavirus, because of COVID-19, um, I think for the first time ever, that's at least in, in a way that's um, tangible for, for the most Arkansans in history is that, you know, we have absentee uh, ballot voting for the first time um, because of, well, it's not for the first time, but, you know, for people in Arkansas, um, so that you can socially distance from the ballots, but still vote. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think we have some information on that and, and I think it's still coming out, but I think, you know, for everybody that um, is thinking about voting, but, you know, is concerned about going to a ballot box, make sure that you apply. You have to apply, mm -hmm. I think, right? And, and you know, you got to be very, it's very, very concise and, and very clear on your application. You have to have every single, you know, ev all the required information has to be exactly correct. Like, you know, if you're on your voter registration, if your address is listed one way, if you abbreviate your street incorrectly, then that mm. could be reason for you to get your ballot thrown out. If you accidentally write, you know, illegibly, and it looks like a different number on your date of birth, that could cause your ballot to be thrown out. If you do not um, include a copy of your photo ID with your ballot, because Arkansas requires um, ID for voters, then that can be a reason for your vote to be thrown out. And so you have to be very, very careful about making sure you are following the directions exactly right. And, um, you know, I think that that certainly is a safer option for people who have um, healthcare conditions that would put them at higher risk or that they just feel uncomfortable going to vote in person. Um, you know, another option for voters would be to go to early voting when often there are not long lines, um, which is probably what I will do. Yeah, um, I think I will too because I, I am... Anyways, I want my sticker yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so you can show it on the gram. Um, no, but I agree. I mean, because there are so many excuses by the people that run elections to throw away as many votes as they can, right? So, I, I it, you know, I, I think I'll try to vote in person when it's when the lines are short um, because I want to make sure that my vote is counted. We're 100 days away from election day, right? Officially. We, officially 100 days away today. One other thing I would like to add, too, is, you know, we also need to mentally prepare. We're not going to have our election results that night. Right. Yeah. Because there's going to be so many people voting by mail. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, one of the things that, you know, we're used to here in this country is that we get our we know the results at the end of the night yeah and i think that we need to be very careful and have and expect that it's going to take longer which makes it more dangerous for some people who are running for office specifically our current president right who is already taking steps to delegitimize the results mm -hmm. yeah and so we need we want it to take longer because we want every vote to count we yeah. want to make sure that they take their time to count the to get an accurate vote count yes and and so i think it's important for us to all just prepare yeah. We want the right results, not the right now results, and to be patient with the process. 
Yeah, and, and that's and not what we're used to here. Definitely, definitely. We'll be doing uh, voter registration drives uh, around Springdale and Rogers uh, this Saturday. Um, so we'll put socially up a, distance. Yeah, socially distance with mask and hand sanitizer, and uh, and we'll be posting about it on our on our District Three podcast page on Facebook and and Twitter and Instagram to let you know the locations. Um, Running a campaign during this pandemic must be crazy. So, Les, can you talk a little bit about that? Because I, it's, you know, (laughs) everything is new and different, and you have to be ready to think outside the box. Um, You know, I would say on the positive, I don't have to do nearly as much driving as I did before. So, in that way... I've had more time with my kids and my husband and, um, you know, I can be home all day and then do, you know, I can be making phone calls and stuff from home and then do a town hall from home. And that, that, that does, that's good for me. Right, right. But it's also, you know, people are at home right now and so there's that opportunity for us to reach them by phone banking, by doing text messages. And, you know, it's, it's just the campaign will look a lot different because we're also probably not going to be out knocking doors either. Yeah. Cause when you have one of your volunteers test positive, who wants to be the candidate that then has to notify all of those people that they knocked on their door and say, hey, we may have accidentally exposed you to a virus. Yeah, I mean, right. that, you know, and so really sort of the challenge is how do I touch as many voters as possible to for them to be able to hear my message and know who I am and what do I stand for while also putting public health first. Yeah. And so that, I think, is sort of the challenge. But it's, you know... There are ways to reach people. Yeah, so. well, and I know you've been working hard. You've been doing everything, and, and you I still managed to outraise Steve Womack. Yes, right. yes, that was super exciting. Yeah. I don't think that's been done in a while. I'll, I don't think it's ever it's been, been done. done. Not. I don't. I, I had a reporter who called me and told me that he has never ever seen that in this district, and he's been following politics since the '90s here. So, uh, so can can you tell us what? So, for those that don't know, can you give us any specifics on the numbers? Um, obviously, it's all public information. It is all public. So, if I say it wrong, I'm really sorry. But it was somewhere around seventy-two thousand dollars that we raised. Um, and Steve Womack raised, I think, 35, wow. s- yeah. somewhere in that range. Um, so that's really exciting. Yeah. Um, and I think that that certainly shows we've got momentum on our side. Um, I also think, you know, when you pair that information with the fact that, um, you know, we recently had that poll here in Arkansas that shows more Arkansans disapprove of President Tr- Trump's job performance right now and so, you know, I think that that certainly shows that there is change possible, and we certainly want to do all the hard work that we can to make sure that that, that change really does happen. Um, I think you have to kind of balance that with the fact that, you know, he's got over a million dollars in his bank account from right. all of, I mean, yeah. most of his money comes from corporate PAC money. Right. And I remember that, and I just, that was one thing I definitely wanted to talk about today because Celeste, whenever you were thinking about running mm-hmm. and you and I sat down and we had dinner and you told me, I'm not going to take any PAC money. 
any corporate pack money at all. Oh, people and thought I was crazy. I, you know, I'll, I'll admit it. I was like, how is she going to do this? I mean, you told me I am going to run a grassroots campaign, only uh, fundraise with with you know small donors with the people. And I was like, this is Arkansas. How? But you know, you proved it um, in in the last quarter. I mean, I think that the being a candidate, you have, I have an opportunity to do things differently. And I have an opportunity to do things in a way that is consistent with my values. And I truly believe that where your treasure is, there also lies your heart. Yeah. So yeah. who you take money from is who you're beholden to. Yeah. And I absolutely want to be beholden to the people of my district. And individuals are incredibly important to me like that's who I want to represent and it's not that I'm against big business at all I think you know Tyson provides a lot of jobs for people here they've done a lot for this community so is Walmart and JB Hunt they're really important but I want to make sure that they do that their business is done in a fair way that you and I as individuals have an opportunity to succeed, that whenever we put in a hard day's work, that we are able to live a life that is free from want. I mean, if you have a full-time job in this country, you shouldn't be food insecure. Yeah. Yes, and absolutely. way too many people are. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a moral indictment on us as a society. Mm -hmm. It is not okay to have poor people in the richest nation in the world. We have to create opportunity for everybody to succeed. And, and I think that that, you know, I think that when politicians take money from large corporations, that they are showing you who they're listening to. Absolutely. And I think we I, we 100% agree, and we're yeah. so proud. I mean, again, I was just like, how is she going to do this? And, you know, you've done it. You've worked really hard to, to be able to continue to do this. Um, so I'm, I'm very proud of that. And, and you know, I, I think, you know, just going back to whenever we were first talking about it, you know, you the last time you were on the show, you were talking about that kind of brand, right? You were talking about, you because you had just become chairwoman for the Bend County Dems, and you were talking about building a brand of what a Democrat should be. Yes. And I think you've extended that, not only from that chairwomanship into this candidacy, um, and that's a great example of it. I mean, are, are there any other things that you feel you've done with this campaign that kind of do that? So one of the thing, one of my other reasons when I thought about running for this position beyond just being exhausted by seeing all the struggles of my patients in clinic and realizing that those were certainly issues. A lot of the problems that people face are things that I cannot solve in an exam room. And so, you know, beyond that is helping to create the infrastructure for the Democratic Party in Arkansas and really redefining what a Democrat is. And you know, and what a Democrat is here in Arkansas is probably a whole lot different than what a Democrat is in New York or California. Yeah. But we have that opportunity to, to really lean into our values and show people that we 
we all want the same things. Like our values are putting people first. Our values are making sure that everyone has healthcare uh, or access to healthcare, that everyone has educational opportunities, whether that's pre-K, great public schools, um, college education that's affordable and good job job training you know how it, you know it's so expensive to have a plumber or an electrician or an or an air conditioning person come to your house those are good paying jobs and we need to make sure that people are able to get the training to do those things um, and then that make sure that everybody has um, a fair wage for hard work and and I think that really beyond that was making sure that I can lift up other candidates and give them an opportunity to talk about their values and what they hope to accomplish as a candidate. And so I've tried to do that um, in a lot of my social media outreach is to, you know, have other candidates come on so they can introduce themselves and talk about what they want to accomplish. Yeah, because those ba down ballot races so are, are so important i mean I, we talk about those most of the time here on district three you know most of the people that we have are those local races and obviously those are the ones that are going to affect us yeah. they're closest to home right mm -hmm. um but you know for you to do that when you're when you're in a race to represent people in the largest uh house um which is that u.s house of representatives i mean it's 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 very admirable um so thank you, thank you so much for that i mean how how was that transition? I mean, whenever you were thinking about it, I mean, what was the stress like? Who 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 did you talk to? What was that? Just those conversations. I love a picture of it. You know, it was just kind of talking. Actually, um, Kristen, who is my campaign manager, it was a lot of, and also a dear friend of mine as well. You know, there's nobody else. I, uh, well, I have a great team. Not yeah. to just say it's all Kristen, but like <laughs> she's been there from the beginning. And, you know, I think about the, the team that I've acquired along the way. You know, this journey is really hard, but, like, I'm so grateful to have them with me. And, and you, I really feel like I derive so much strength from the people on my team. Um, but it was really kind of sitting down and looking at numbers in the district, um, specifically, like, how do people vote in this district? And obviously it's historically been a really red district. Right. Um, but I, you know, I felt like it was something, it really, I, when Donald Trump got elected, my first instinct was, even though I was a nobody, <laughs> was to run against Steve Womack to fight against the repeal of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's all worked out in the right way and the right time. And, um, yeah, it was just lots of conversations about how could we make this work. I'm, I'm certainly not independently wealthy, um, you know. It, it really is. It, we knew it would have to be a grassroots campaign from the beginning. Because yeah. at the end of the campaign, I don't have thousands of dollars that I can take out of a bank account yeah. to pay for this campaign. And it's really just been grassroots donors who pour their heart and soul and give me financial help right. into the campaign. And, and I think that gives us strength. Yeah. And well, you know, I might speak for Irvin here, but I think we're very thankful that you are working so hard to represent yeah. us. 
Yeah, and I think one of the things that stands out from your campaign is that you have a lot of powerful women leading, you know, in your campaign. And I think that the results are showing of that hard work of the people that you have involved. Um, women get stuff done. I, yeah, I mean, you can you you busy see it. women get stuff done. Yeah. I mean, like you we mo we have kids. Like mm. I have a job outside of this. You know, it's. But I also think per politics is so personal. It is deeply personal. It touches you, even if you, if someone, you know, when somebody says, I don't really like to pay attention to politics, well, that's fine, but politics is paying and attention to you. Absolutely, yes. You know, whether or not you have a habitable home as a renter, we don't have those rights here in Arkansas. You know, that's something that your state legislator could address for you but they're not. Yeah. You know, if you um, want to get health care, that is a political decision that somebody else made for you. Right. If you know how much money you make an hour, that's a political decision that somebody else made for you. Mm -hmm. And these things have consequences. You know, what kind of an education is available for your child? That's because of political decisions that were made. And I think about like, you know, with COVID, we've, we had our kids that had to have alternative methods of learning and they were doing school from home. Well, there were a lot of kids who didn't have internet at their homes. And that is from a political decision that we're not treating broadband as a utility, which it should be. Absolutely. And all of these things have consequences. And if you look at who is representing us in Congress right now, these are a lot of times people who do not understand or have empathy for the everyday people in, Ar in Arkansas. Yeah. They don't know what our lives are like. They're out of touch. Yes, and there's a, a large number of very wealthy representatives. Right. Well, yeah. if you go in without that life experience of knowing what it's like to struggle, to worry if you're going to have enough money at the end of the week to buy groceries for your family, if you've never had that experience, then you're much more inclined to blame that person and say that that's a moral failing. They should work harder. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And that is not... So yes. It's. It isn't... It isn't just, and I think that we definitely need to be fighting for a more just and equitable society. Right. And where can people donate to your campaign, Celeste? So um, the easiest way is to go to Celeste Williams for Arkansas.com, and it is spelled out C-E-L-E-S-T-E -E Williams, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-S for F-O-R Arkansas.com, <laughs> which I sometimes, I always apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry I have such a long name, <laughs> so no, many letters. Okay. I think but, you're the first person we've had on here that's ever spelled anything well, completely Well, Celeste out, is not the easiest you know people don't know right. how to spell that well, we appreciate it that's still you know show off for us flex on us <laughs> well there's a cool. giant donate button on that okay. website yeah. and so you can click that button donate to the campaign you can sign you know and the other thing is right now is a really difficult financial time for a lot of people and yeah. you know we can even if you don't have money to donate 
we can all do our part. And so you can sign up to volunteer, you can make phone calls to voters, you can send text messages to voters, you can write postcards for voters. You can er encourage your uh, friends and family to follow us on social media and amplify our message. Like, we can all do our part, and you can do as much as you want to with our campaign. And on Facebook, it's Celeste Williams for Arkansas. I think that is I right. I believe that's it. If you look up Celeste Williams, you'll see that you'll find. Yes, it. if there's, you there's type not in a ton Celeste, Celeste Williams, Williams no. in the world, there's a yeah. couple, but <laughs> they can find you on Twitter as well um, under I think Celeste Williams. If you type in Celeste, I, I'm terrible. I don't remember my Facebook or Twitter handle. She, it was it was all those letters that she just. Had I know. Well, it's, it's too much. <laughs> well, again, thank you so much yeah. for joining us. You know, uh, for all of our listeners, um, you know, Celeste is working hard to represent us, all of our listeners. I mean, everybody here, Northwest Arkansas. This is going to be your future rep. And remember that Steve Womack initiated 287G, so we have someone that's opposing him. So yes. make sure you vote for Celeste. Which I oppose, 287G. There you go. Because it should yeah. go away. And, and also he voted over 54 times to repeal the Affordable Health Care mm. Act. And, you know, obviously we all need access to health care. Yeah. We need a healthy, well-educated electorate to have a strong economy and let everybody succeed in life, however it is that they define that. Beautiful. That's a, I think that's a perfect way to end it. Yeah. So, Celeste, thank you again so much for coming on. And we'll have you again soon, closer to election day, so we can get an update. That would be awesome. I appreciate you both so much. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you for everybody that's listening. Uh, we'll see you next week. Yeah. Peace.